Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Be John 2, 13 through 17. The Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, Get those things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's let's tune in to something a little bit more uh, heartwarming. Uh, than, than Jesus cleansing the temple. If we recall, how many of you were able to attend yesterday the extravaganza that we had here? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was incredible. We had a lot of people show up. That, that wasn't the point of it. We uh, had 100 kids, but that wasn't the point of it. We had so many parents show up, but that wasn't the point of it. Uh, what I want to do is I want to ask also, how many of you were able to serve in some capacity at the extravaganza? Yeah, thank you so much for blessing our community and and joining and partnering with us in that ministry. Um, The point of yesterday was uh, kind of encapsulated in a message that our Facebook page got last night as a testimony to yesterday. I want to read that to you. It said this. This is somebody just from our community who was here yesterday. It says, hello, I have two little ones. Her message was a bit long, so I condensed it. Hello, I have two little ones. I came to the Easter event today. It had been the third event of the day because I wanted to enjoy the special holiday with my kids. Unfortunately, my fiancé was working all day, and I had to tackle my kiddos alone. I felt like a single mom all over again. I went through both of my pregnancies alone and then met who I'm with now, and I'm pregnant with my third due in September. The point I'm trying to get at is I don't know if this lady goes to church there or if she was there for the event today, but she stepped in and lifted so much weight off of my shoulders so the kids and I could enjoy the rest of the event. She made me feel welcome and was amazing at trying to keep the conversation going with me and making me feel like I'm not alone. I don't know why, but something told me to send this message to you guys because I couldn't stop thinking of her kind act and can't appreciate her enough for today. I live right across the street at Hopeman West Town Homes, and I will definitely start going to church there as soon as possible. That's the point. Guys, I saw so many of you, oh, yeah, I saw so many of you stepping in in ways that aren't usual. Because churches ask you, hey, give your candy and come stuff them. We called you, hey, invite your neighbors, stay with them, and love on them while you're here. And you did it. Praise God for you. <laughs> That's how we minister to our community. Okay? So now we're going to transition to that, to Jesus flipping tables. Okay? And I'm just going to go right for it. We're just going to jump right into it. I, I can't sugarcoat this in any way. Yes, we're in for some fun. Uh, if you came here expecting like a, a unicorns and rainbows message that you were going to walk out here having sprinkle fairy dust falling off your back as you walked, that's not going to be today, okay? <laughs> I don't know how much better you'll feel at the end of the day today, but uh, let me just pray real quick because we need God's help. Uh, 
Holy Spirit, would you right now just come and invade this place and, and would you preach your word? Uh, get me out of the way, humble me, and, and may you be the constraining force here. God, would you bless the preaching of your word? I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've already heard the text read. Let me set the context for what it is. So uh, if you haven't noticed yet, the Gospel of John isn't like the other three. The Gospel of John goes out of order chronologically. He doesn't keep things in place. He doesn't keep things in order like the other Gospels do. He's got an artistic narrative that he's trying to write here. The other three Gospels have this passage in their accounts, and it's near the end of their books. And here's the crazy thing. It's the, the, Jesus flipping the tables in the temple happens right after what in those Gospels? Palm Sunday. It happens right after Palm Sunday. Let me, let me set the scene, right? So there's this triumphal entry, right? Jesus comes in on the first day of the Holy Week. And he's riding on a donkey into Jerusalem and, and the crowds are just going crazy with celebrating. They're waving their palm branches. They're laying it on the ground. They're letting Jesus on the donkey ride across them and they're shouting, what? Hosanna. Do y'all know what that even means? It's not an English word. Do you know what it means? We shout it. Hosanna. Is that Jesus' name? No. No, it's not a name for Jesus. See, salvation... Is this word Hosanna is a Hebrew word and it only appears once in the Old Testament. It's in Psalm 118 and it means, where is salvation? Where is my rescue? And then we hear people here when Jesus is walking in and he's sh they're shouting Hosanna. They're saying salvation has come. My rescue is here. Right? So they're shouting this Hosanna, salvation, he's coming through. But what did that mean to them? What did that mean to do the Jews at this time? Well, you gotta, you gotta remember, Israel, Jerusalem at that time was occupied by the Roman Empire. Jerusalem wasn't a sovereign nation anymore. They had been conquered and were under the oppressive rule of the Roman tyranny, right? It was governed by pagan Gentiles. And that, for centuries, was interpreted as a form of judgment from God. Anytime a foreign ruler ruled over the people of God instead of God himself. Now, Jews had long believed that a Messiah was going to come in and sweep Israel out of, Israel out of the oppressive rule that they were under and set them up as a prosperous, sovereign nation. This Messiah was going to come and do that for them, set them free from Roman tyranny and reestablish them. So that's what, that's what we hear in their cries here. Hosanna, our salvation as a nation has come. He's going to rescue us, right? They thought Jesus of Nazareth was going to rescue them from Roman oppression. He's in the capital city, right? He's, he's here to do it. Now, if Jesus were here for that purpose, if Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem for those reasons, what would, he have, what would we have done? What would, what would we see him do? He'd ride that donkey all the way, rallying people to lead an insurrection. He'd ride all the way to the governor's mansion. He'd kick him out. He'd topple the Roman emperor, and he'd throw him out of Israel, and Israel would be their own nation once again, once for all, and they would prosper. That's what we would have seen if he was that kind of Messiah, but is that what we see? No. You see, in the other Gospels, after Jesus rides into Jerusalem with these shouts of rescue, which were still appropriate, shouts of our salvation has come, reverberating through the streets, you know what he does? As he's riding, he weeps over the state of Israel 
because they couldn't even recognize the intentions of their Messiah. He weeps and he marches that donkey right into the temple. Not to the governor's mansion, to the temple. Mark, the Gospel of Mark says he takes a look around. He sees the state of the temple that he's king over. He goes, he comes back the next day and he does this. He goes to the house of his father and he flips some tables. Talk about finding the real intentions of what God's up to in the world. Am I wrong? We really get to see what Jesus is after in this text. Jesus isn't the Messiah that the people were wanting, but goodness, he's the Messiah that the people desperately needed. Rescuing us not from an oppressive Roman rule, but he's rescuing them from the depravity of our own souls. Today we're going to see more and more how Jesus reveals his character to us in this gospel and there's a phrase that I'm going to put it in uh, that's going to clarify what I mean, but I'll, I'll later address it. I'll later on in the message kind of explain what I mean by this. But one of the things we're seeing Jesus shouting so clearly today about the nature of his character is that he is the priestly prophet. Can you say priestly prophet? Priestly prophet. Yeah. He's shouting, I am the priestly prophet. I'm going to get to what that means in a little bit, but first let me explain why this is so crazy, why what's happening here is happening here, and maybe even relating it to some things that are happening today. So let me ask you this, and and I love feedback. If you don't know me, I love feedback. Um, In the last several years, what have been some of the most advanced technological uh, uh, advancements that we've seen uh, in, in the technology sector? What are some things that you've noticed that you've been, wow, they can do that now? What do we got? So, oh, yep. Taking, oh, apparently, we're going to take civilians. Up. Hey, you want to go on a ride to the moon real quick and back? Yeah, we'll do that. Which, which another speaks to another one, right? Rockets that can land themselves. Like they can go up, and then they can turn right back around and just land so delicately. Now, you've seen the crash footage, right? It's pretty messy when they don't work. <laughs> but when they do work, it's impressive, right? My goodness. Uh, I, I can't help but think of virtual reality. You know those goggles where you're just like, and you're walking on the, um, the tightrope thing and you fall off and you just, people actually fall doing that. Virtual reality, we see um, electric self-driving cars. Isn't that crazy? And I think, I think one of the most uh, phenomenal advancements in all of technological uh, history, Walmart pickup. Or, or substitute Target, or whatever. I mean, almost everybody does it now. Fast food restaurants, even restaurants, or whatever. Like, goodness, you can pick up whatever you want from any place, right? Because COVID made us do that. But I'm not kidding, right? Do you remember the day when we didn't have pickup? Do you remember when your weekly grocery run that took two to three hours included, not limiting to, Wrestling with the squirmy toddler, rushing the three-year-old to the bathroom, disciplining some mischievous behavior in the four-year-old, stuffing the kids' faces three different times throughout your trip just to keep them happy, and then apologizing profusely to the Walmart workers because broken glasses all over the ground because the toddler decided that throwing a pickle jar out of the the, uh, cart was a good idea. All of that, gone. Now it just takes a half-hour round trip to your closest store, right? 
from your home to the store where they load it up for you and you can go back home. Happy kids means what? Happy wife, which means what? Happy life. Now, all of this was being driven by what was convenient for the consumer, right? And I'm not saying it's wrong, right? It's, it's convenient for us. It's, it's some felt needs that we had, and they nailed it. They fixed it, right? But you see, when, when we make advancements in technology or, 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 or developing things that make things more convenient uh, in business practices, uh, there's some things that get lost. So, for example, self-checkout. Right? You can go to a store, and almost every store, big store now, has self-checkout. You can, you can check yourself out. Uh, you don't have to talk to anybody. You can, they're readily available. They're real quick. Most people don't go uh, do all of their grocery runs on those. They can just, if you need one, two things, boom, it's convenient. When they made advancements in the rockets, it was an inconvenient thing to have to go into the ocean and fish them out. So they, hey, let's just make it come back down for us. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's helpful in some regards, but when you make some changes, you, you compromise on some things, especially some things that are, are, are beautiful, that we'll miss out on. Like, like with this grocery pickup, there's no more running into friends on aisle 15 from your church or from the community and saying, hey, how are you doing? There's no more of that. You just stay in your car and isolate. There's, there's no more going to check out lane five to your favorite cash register, Kathy, uh, to, to check in and see how her mom's doing after her surgery. There's no more of that. There's no more funny pickles on the, jo- on the floor jar thing on lane five anymore. There's no memories of that anymore. Guys, when you start making consumers felt needs the priority of how you operate, then you start to lose out on some important aspects of life that make just make life so beautiful. And that's actually what I see happening here in the text today. It's what I see happening in this passage. Something that I'm calling consumeristic compromise. Consumeristic compromise. And they're losing out on a lot more than just beauty. So, so let me... Let me paint the background a little bit further with this text. It's not just Palm Sunday. It's getting ready to be Passover. It's what he starts off with. The Jewish Passover was near. That's a very important holiday, a very important festival for the Jews. They celebrated it every year. For those who don't know, I'm going to give the background just so we can all be on the same page. This festival was instituted millennia ago when Israel was in slavery to Egypt and God was letting his people go by sending nine different plagues into Egypt to see if Pharaoh's heart would be softened and it isn't and then the tenth one comes and it is uh, promising the death of the firstborn son of every family and God promises to Israel that there would be a way out if they would take a a lamb that was uh, unblemished that was pure and they would they would uh, sacrifice it and they would take its blood and they would paint it on the lintel and the doorpost of their home. And then the angel of death, when it would come, would see the blood of the pure lamb and would pass over. And so this festival was something that they celebrated year after year in the similar fashion, reminding them of how God saved them from death and slavery. And so in Jesus' day, these families were coming in to celebrate this. Families would come in from all over the area to celebrate the Passover. 
to make their sacrifices in the temple and have this massive meal. So this was, this was a pretty prime time in Israel, was it not? Like this is, business is booming, right? People are coming in from all over. It's a big deal for, for Jerusalem. Thousands of families coming in. Coming into the temple to make their sacrifice. Their, their sacrifice of cattle or sheep or dove, which all could have been used. They, they were, if they were too poor to afford any of those fancier animals, God made provision for pigeons. They could use pigeons that were acceptable. But Jesus goes into Jerusalem as well. Not just, not just uh, on, a, on a normal day, but on a high time of the year. And he enters into the temple and he finds that the religious leaders have set up a market selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons. And money changers were exchanging foreign currencies that, for, for acceptable taxed coinage for, for the temple and collecting taxes as well. They had set up this bartering in the middle of the temple. Why was this a big deal though? Why, why is this so important? Well, let me, let me paint some more background here. You got to remember, most of these families coming into the temple were coming in from far away. Okay? And these were families. And, and I don't know about you, but my kids can probably walk maybe a quarter of a mile before they're begging on my knees. Dad, piggyback ride. I, I, I'm too tired. And then they sit on my feet and I'm just dragging them for another half mile. Right? So... These families coming in, it's pretty inconvenient to, to try to just upheave your whole family and go. And, but imagine trying to also bring in a few oxen along the way. Or maybe some sheep for about 80 miles. I think it would be pretty difficult. It would be pretty tough. So instead, these religious leaders were, 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 at, were, were addressing their customers' felt needs. Hey, we can make sacrifices available for you here. You can, you can purchase them upon your arrival here in Jerusalem rather than having to tote your own along. So they, they, they saw their consumers felt needs and they offered a business solution. Literally, it's a business solution. Hey, come buy. Come to the market that's in the temple of God. Come buy your pre-approved, unblemished, organic, uh, free-range sacrifice for the temple. Let us make it convenient for you. So instead of the temple being a solemn place of prayer and worship to God, the ruckus and the shouting of bartering merchants and the bleats and groans of animals filled the temple air. You see, the religious leaders had compromised. They had compromised based on their consumers' felt needs. And do you remember how I told you that? Uh, when you make advancements or offer solutions to customers' felt needs, sometimes you lose out on some of the beautiful things that were meant to be there. Remember that? The whole Walmart, you don't get to see aisle five anymore. That's happening here. How many of you uh, grew up raising some sort of farm animal? What was it? Pigs! Oh my goodness, they're so cute. Have you seen them so little? Who else? What else you got? Cows, my, mm. sorry, I didn't mean to make a cow noise. What do you got? Goats, yeah. So, so if you, so let me just, I'm a city boy. I grew up in a suburb, and the most exotic animal that we had in our neighborhood was a cat that didn't have a tail. 
that you had to squeeze in order to make it pee. I'm not kidding. His name was Marlowe. I don't know why. But for those of you who grew up with animals and, and you grew up on that farm, right, you, you know the sacrifices that were required. You, you'd be up late into the night making sure that, that little baby was born healthy. You'd tend to it in its first several weeks. You'd care for it. You'd watch over it. You'd nourish it. You'd fight for it. You'd protect it. You'd, you'd, you, when it got hurt, you'd heal it, right? Like, goodness, you'd feed it every day. This was a huge deal. You gave it a name. Now imagine then taking that animal to the local temple to offer it as a sacrifice because you sinned. It didn't do anything wrong. We did. That animal would take on the punishment for sin that we deserved, that I deserved. That's kind of devastating, is it not? You spend so much time tending, tending to this creature and then it has to pay the sacrifice for your mess ups. God designed the sacrifice system, sacrificial system, in a way just like this so that you and I would take sin a little bit more seriously. It's really easy for us to say, yeah, Jesus, he bore our sins on the cross years ago, but not actually see his death. Here, we don't have to raise up a sacrifice anymore, right? Jesus was offered, and we praise God for that. But in this story, you don't even have to raise up your own sacrifice here anymore. You could just go to the temple and, and buy one from somebody else who, who raised it themselves. But nope, uh, it, no guilt on me. It's, man, I, I didn't have to worry about this animal. I don't even know its name. Just go ahead and kill it for me. Them compromising to meet the consumer's felt needs cheapened the experience God had designed within the sacrificial system that removed guilt for sin. Now, in, in more modern terms, I, I think one of the ways that we can describe this, uh, this sort of kind of watering things down is, is under the guise of something called spiritual consumerism. Can you say spiritual consumerism? What does the consumer feel they need? Oh, okay, let's match that. Let's do that. One, one preacher said that spiritual consumerism can take a few different shapes, but one of them, the primary one, primary one is when you put yourself at the center of worship and not God. When you put yourself before God and you put your own conveniences and your own felt needs above the true worship of God, you're putting your comforts above everything else. Spiritual consumerism. Guys, I gotta tell you, and you know this, we live in an entertainment world. Do you know what entertainment means? It means to hold your attention. In an entertainment world that is, that is revolving around what's most convenient for you and me. It literally is. And not only that, but we're overstimulated, so overstimulated with, with a fast-paced mentality, a fast-paced entertainment and media system that, has a, that kind of has an over-idealized sense of life. 
with a really low pain tolerance. And in all of this is the subtle belief that keeps getting driven in more and more and more into our lives that that you and I are at the center of our universe. That everything revolves around you and me. and and, and, And this mentality, if we're not careful, can walk right in those doors with us as we come. And, 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 when, and when we put ourselves at the center of what happens in here, church no longer is about discipleship or being shaped and formed. It's about being entertained. Because we're consumers. We're here to consume. Guys, I, 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 uh, it's, it's funny because we had this yesterday. I saw a church back in North Carolina that I, I was familiar with. And I'm not trying to cheapen them, I'm not trying to criticize them in any way, but they held an Easter egg hunt where they had, no joke, a helicopter come in and drop the eggs into a field. And then the kids were released and run wild. That's pretty cool. But that was the advertising moment. Hey, hey, we're going to have a helicopter come in and drop the eggs. You want to come see that? Like a real helicopter dropping eggs. And, you know, I I always looked at that church and just was like, man, they're so consumer-driven. It's ridiculous. But then I had to think a little bit deeper. And and this is where we can get pretty pretty intense, right? I saw a a comment made from a comedian named John Christ, right, who was joking about stuff like that. He joked about how helicopters come in and drop eggs, or or uh, during March Madness, the churches have NCAA paraphernalia all over the back of their backstage to make sure those men and women, man, we're relevant, we're cool, right? He talks about this, and he says that that isn't just a, a church problem. That's a consumer problem. The consumer creates the demand for that. Does it not? The consumer in this text created the demand. And what's so scary about this passage here is that not a single one of them really had a clue that they were participating in this. It was just the norm. In fact, it was their leaders that implemented it. And so one of the things that would be really helpful is, is just to kind of, you know how the, that comedian, he says, he says, here's your sign, right? Like, well, here's your sign, right? Here's your sign if you tend to be somebody who is a spiritual consumer, somebody who uh, wants this to revolve around you and not about our king. Just a few signs. When you say things like, um, well, I'm just not fed here anymore. Now, I, I need to be careful with that because there could be some reasons, some legitimate reasons, but, but if other people are being fed and you're not, then maybe you've got a wrong appetite. Or I, I just, I don't connect with anybody any there, anyone there. Or, or, or here's one, I've heard this. They don't have mocha lattes for me as I walk in. Tammy, we've got to step up the coffee game out there. It's not you, it's just, it's me. It's not you, it's me, okay? We'll work on it. Phrases like, oh, they, didn't, they don't do this style of worship, or they don't use this instrument. Oh, no, they use that instrument. Oh, that's a bad instrument. They use drums. <gasps> a full drum kit. 
I've also heard, oh, the preacher isn't funny enough. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying. I'm trying. I've also heard, oh, this, that church doesn't have, um, they don't have fog lights and laser shows. I've heard, uh, I've heard people say, I've only got a nine-minute attention span, so that's all I'm giving you, and, and I'm out, right? And, it's, and by the way, don't make me feel uncomfortable. I've also heard, oh, his sermons are too serious. He needs to stop talking so much about Jesus and, and maybe start talking about some things that are a bit more burdensome that we all share, and then maybe how Jesus offers to carry those things. That's what he needs to talk about. I've also heard... They don't give me a Dunkin' Donuts gift card for attending. I'm not kidding. It is kind of outrageous, but I'm, it breaks my heart. These felt needs, consumeristic felt needs, are, are, are put above what this really is meant to be about here. And if, 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 oh, if we can't get it here, man, I'm going to go find a church where I can get it. I'm sure there's one around. Guys, all of this to say, what is the phrase that we usually use when we're looking for a church? We're going church shopping. We're going church shopping. I'm going to go find a church that I feel meets my needs. Now, now don't get me wrong. There's a process that we have to work when we're looking for a church. They've got to check some boxes, right? Man, they've got to, they've got to preach God's word. They've got to love Jesus. They've got to be on mission. Like, check those boxes. But goodness, do they've got to have a laser show and fog machines clogging up the pores of your face? No, right? Guys, there's a way that we can... Look for churches in such a self-centered, consumeristic way that it is a very dangerous thing. And when we start seeing anything along those lines, like I mentioned earlier, those phrases, you might find yourself operating in a matrix of spiritual consumerism that makes your preferences the demands of the local church. And it's a way that you try to shape and form the local church. It's not just leaders making decisions to have Steph Curry on the NBA playoff background that the church has. It's, it's because the, the consumer demanded it. And so it's like we, there's ways that our demands can shape how churches operate. They can shape how the local church works. And guys, there's a, there's a stern warning in this text that I can't help but see, and that's simply this. The church is crafted and shaped and molded by Christ, not its consumers. So you guys, I I included in you guys, if I could sit out here, we don't get to determine how this operates. Jesus already gave us that. Did he not? So, So let him craft it. He's responsible to be washing his bride. He's responsible for shaping and molding us and telling us what our marching orders are. So so we ought to be very cautious with what we demand from our local churches, should we not? And, 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 and don't get me wrong, this isn't just about us as the body. Leaders, leaders of the church, we ought to be careful to not bend and cater to the felt needs of spiritual consumers that Jesus doesn't tell us to. 
And not to water down or lose out entirely of the gospel. Because in that case, we'd be reshaping the bride of Jesus. Guys, this here belongs to Jesus. We're his bride. And he's the bridegroom coming. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if somebody walked up to my wife and started telling her all the ways that she's not meeting their felt needs? I'd be making me a whip. Nobody talks to my bride that way. Only I do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> nobody, nobody talks to her that way. Now, I'm not saying that you go pull a Will Smith on somebody, right? That's not the example. Jesus is perfect. Will Smith was not. But there's a point where I'm going to intercede when somebody goes up and criticizes my wife again and again and again because she's not meeting their felt needs. You think Jesus is going to do the same? Clearly he does the same. He goes in and he goes after those people who have muddied the water on his bride. Clearly you can tell I'm a little bit passionate about this. So we see Jesus assess what's going on in the temple. And how does he respond? Is is the appropriate word to use anger? Maybe. Maybe. I see mercy. I see mercy. He responds with mercy. Look at verse 15 again. Look at this. He says, After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and their oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. As this passage, these words suggest that not only did he use the whips on the animals, he used it on the people too. He drives out these massive oxen. He flips over the tables of money. He cracks the whip. Better than Indiana Jones. Now, one quick caveat. If I see any of you coming in here with the whip and start hitting people with it, we're going to have some issues. That's not how you clean house. Okay? This isn't a justification for you to flip over your pew. Why? Because <laughs> you ain't Jesus. Jesus, in perfect sinlessness and pure righteousness, he drives them out. So once you get on his level, then maybe you can come in with that. But I, I, he's on an entirely, infinitely higher level, so that's not going to happen. What Jesus is doing here is directly confronting spiritual consumerism in his turning over the tables. Not just of the people coming to make their sacrifices in the temple, but also the religious leaders who compromised on such a beautiful aspect, such a painful aspect of the sacrificial system, just so they could get more people in the doors and make some money. Guys, spiritual consumerism is not welcome. In Jesus' gathering. It's a kind of faith that he rejects. And we're going to talk more about what consumeristic faith can look like in two weeks. But the kind of acceptable faith that is, that, that, that is one that Jesus accepts is the one that has Jesus at the center of how you think about the kingdom of God. Not you. Our lives revolve around his. Not the other way around. So, so, so in all of this. I mentioned earlier what we see Jesus 
and how we see Jesus and his character in this passage. And I think it's absolutely worth noting. And I'll say them as one. And I'll say, I said them earlier. I am the priestly prophet. The priestly prophet. And I want to explain the prophet part. And then I'll get after the priest part. Okay? So when we're talking about prophets. Prophets throughout the Old Testament were some weird dudes. Right? They probably had like the crazy hair. And they wore weird stuff. And, and they came in and from the wilderness to give a word from the Lord. They, they spoke on God's behalf, but man, they always had something to say, right? They, the, the Israelites would hear from the Lord through these prophets, and, and they would relay the message. And 90% of the time, it was about uh, calling out sin and, and brokenness and pronouncing judgment on the Israelites and calling Israel into repentance time and time again. These prophets said what needed to be said at great cost to themselves. And Jesus here fearlessly boldly calls out and addresses the sin of his people. He takes on the role of a prophet here. He walks into the temple, he says, this is wrong, this is broken, this is a flimsy substitute. He calls it out and he drives them out of it. Guys, it breaks my heart to say this, but but you and I have, if you've paid attention to any news in the Christian world, there's been multiple Christian leaders who have been found out in their sin in the last several years. And it's heartbreaking. But when you and I look at that, we often equate that to judgment. Do we not? Oh, judgment. They're losing, they're losing their domain. They're losing their influence. They're getting called out for their sin. Oh, you see, no. Judgment from God would leave them wallowing in the muck of their sin. Judgment from God wouldn't even address it. He'd let them, hand them over to their ways. He'd let them wallow in the mud of it. Judgment here would have just been Jesus seeing it and walking away and not even touching it. That would have been judgment. No, but he doesn't leave them there. He's not just a prophet that calls it out. He's also a priest that atones for it. You see, priests had the privilege of making sacrifices that would atone for sin and would remove its stain from his people. So you see, this isn't judgment. This is mercy. This isn't anger. This is love, too. You see, Jesus removes them from the brokenness, from their depravity. He doesn't let them participate in it anymore. You see, that is mercy. And not only that, but he goes all the way this week to the point where on Friday he's offering up his own sacrifice, his own life as a sacrifice for sin of the world. And in that, he leads us out of the grip of sin and death once and for all. You see, that's why this passage isn't just a calling out of the church. Hey, we can't be based on spiritual consumerism. We can't operate in that matrix. But we also are invited to look at Jesus who won't let us stay there. Who's working to purify his bride. And to cleanse her and wash her. And to make a people that actually cares most about God than themselves. You see, this gospel tells us that Jesus is a priestly prophet. 
not only does he call out our sin, but he leads us out of it too. And guys, this isn't just a cute little phrase for a cute little savior. Guys, this is a Jesus who runs in the temple, gets physical, turns over tables. Guys, you think he won't turn over the tables of churches in our community, in our area, that have watered down and compromised the gospel of Jesus Christ, that cheapen the true experience of worship by compromising on the felt needs of consumers that they are trying to reach? Guys, you and I ought to be desperately begging God that this be a church that is Christ-exalting, that is Bible-preaching and Bible-obeying, that is on mission in the kingdom that doesn't water down the gospel, who won't make people comfortable in their sin, but will make them comfortable as they approach Jesus who calls them out of their sin, while also welcoming them into the family here who helps the brokenness in the community around us and loves everyone with a fierce and holy love. That ought to be what this church should be. Not compromising. You see, Jesus, Jesus won't put up with spiritual consumerism. He doesn't. He loves his bride too much for that. And so, so don't think for a second that he's going to let you stay in the compromises that we've made here by, by making trades. Guys, there's some ways that we've made trades about what this is supposed to be. There's ways that we've made trades where we've traded spiritual health for just what's convenient. We've traded conviction for comfort, right? We've traded worship for entertainment. We've traded theology for experiences. We've traded a real gospel for a watered-down, easy believism. And goodness, we've traded true transformation for outward moralism. Goodness, if that's where our church is at today, then I pray that Jesus would come over and flip some tables. That he would call out our sin and he would lead us out of it. Why? Because I want us to have the same heart of Jesus. The same passion and zeal. Did you see how this passage ends? Did you see how it ends? Look at this. This is the last thing I'm going to say. Look, verse 17. And the disciples in this very moment were reminded of what truth, what verse? Zeal for your house will consume me. That's a quote from Psalm 69. Zeal for your house, God. Now, next week, we're going to learn a little bit more about what the house of God is now, but goodness, look around you real quick. Just look at the people to your left. Now, look at the people to your right. Now, look at me. Does, does an overwhelming passion consume your heart for the people in this room? Do you care so deeply about what happens among us here that it keeps you up at night in prayer on a Saturday night begging God to, to release the chains of sin and, and to, to lead people into healing and, and transformation? Does zeal like that consume your heart? Because I'm promising you, the people that you looked at to your left and to your right, behind and in front, everyone in this room, this is one of the most important and precious things that you will ever have in this life. This church family is one of the best things that we can have. So to come into this place thinking this revolves around me means everyone's, everyone's purpose is to please me. But to come into this place and say, no, I'm not here to consume, I'm here to contribute, 
then you're the reason I'm here. And Jesus is the reason I'm here. I'm not here for myself. So let's be spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. People who give and give and give with an unquenchable joy that we would be willing to be poured out as a, a drink offering, spent for God's purposes in these people live and lives and, and, and all around the world. Guys, this gathering is too precious a gift for us to muddy it with our personal preferences. So let's strive for what's good and true and beautiful according to what Jesus says. So this time, I just want to ask that you would bow your heads and, and, and that you would close your eyes for a second. And I want to bring this down to even a, a more personal level because we've been talking about the organization of the local church, but but even this lands in our own lives. Because the way I see this, not only on the church level, but in the individual level, don't, don't you see that this means that Jesus loves you too much to be your cheerleader as you run headlong into brokenness and sin? He loves you too much to allow you to, to wallow in your sin. He wants to shape you and mold you and and bring you out of it, even if it's you're kicking and screaming. He wants to lead you into wholeness, into healing. He's even offered the sacrifice already. He just wants you. And so if you're here today and you've, you've been living with, with yourself as the, the center of your universe. And, and you're now experiencing what it means to, to actually recognize that there's a God who made you and loves you and wants to have a relationship with you and, and he tells you that this isn't about you, this is about me. Would you come to him today? If, if, if he's calling out some brokenness within you and, and it feels painful, would you, would you just embrace it? Would you receive it? Because he's leading you into life. He's not robbing you of something you think is good. He's, he's, he's freeing you from something that's destroying your soul. He'll call out the sin and he'll lead you out of it too in the sacrifice that he's made. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.